Greetings uh, to the Grace Point family and also greetings to any guests who may be listening in on this message on June 21st of 2020. It is actually Father's Day. Uh, this is Gary Nock, and it's my privilege to share the Word of God with you as we return to the letter to the Colossian believers. I was thinking about Father's Day, and even though this is not a Father's Day message, I think of our Heavenly Father and the Apostle Paul in this letter to the Colossian believers has told us that we give thanks to the Father, verse 12 of chapter 1, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. The perfect father is the heavenly father, and of course, it is the picture of what all fathers should be like, and yet uh, all fathers, uh, earthly fathers do fail in one way or another. And today you may uh, have a father who is uh, much uh, appreciated, or others who are not so much appreciated, and yet uh, the reflection is upon our heavenly father. He is one who never fails and never uh, ceases to love and care for us and has provided so much wonderful things for us. And so today we come together again to look into the letter of Colossians. I was reading uh, this week again about uh, Princess Diana. Uh, if you're old enough to remember Princess Diana, uh, the Prince and Princess of Wales from Great Britain. And I read about a visit they made to Australia and New Zealand back in the 1980s. That was a long time ago now. And uh, they were walking among the crowds in uh, the south part of Australia. And Princess Diana, obviously, was always dri uh, drawn to children in the crowd. And there was a, children of, uh, a group of children near her. And she walked over to them. And the nearest one, she patted affectionately on his head, on his uh, tousled head. And uh, she asked him, why aren't you in school today? And the little boy responded, I was sent home because I've got head lice. Uh, I don't know what the rest of the story, but she may have had uh, some hand cleanser with her right away. But it's one thing uh, to mingle with a crowd of people, but it's quite another one to come in contact with their problems, isn't it? Well, the Apostle Paul in this letter to Colossians waded right into the crowd, as it were, and put his hand directly on the problems that were plaguing the Colossian believers. If you've been with us in this study of this letter to the Colossian church, you'll know that the Apostle Paul is combating a false teaching that is going on there, and he is concerned for them. The Apostle Paul is imprisoned in Rome, and Epaphras and Timothy are with him. Epaphras has brought him a report from the city of Colossae, and uh, the Apostle Paul is concerned, and he's writing to them about that concern. And the concern is, is the fact that Jesus Christ is the supreme one. He is preeminent. And the false teachers are dethroning Christ and putting him in a secondary place. Let me read the passage for us today. We've been moving through this book and we come to chapter 2 of Colossians. So I'd ask you to take your copy of scripture and uh, maybe a pen and a notepad to take some notes and to remind you of some things out of this passage. And also, yeah, those, those three things that we ask you to bring is a pen, a pad or a notebook, and also your brain. We don't want to leave our brains behind, do we? And so chapter 2 of <clears throat> Colossians, but I'm going to start reading uh, in verse 28 of chapter 1, just to remind us of Paul's purpose statement. Chapter 1, verse 28, We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which works mightily within me. Chapter 2, verse 1. 
for I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument, for even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy an empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. I'm going to pray for our time here today. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you that you are our Heavenly Father. Thank you for the Apostle Paul who you used to pen this letter to the Colossians, and then by extension you've superintended it and cared for it and protected it and brought it down to us today in our own language, and we praise you for that. And we pray, Lord, and I pray today for each one listening and uh, paying attention, engaging with your word, that each one of us would be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that we would walk in a manner worthy of you, O Lord, and to please you in all respects, that we would bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. And thank you, Heavenly Father, for uh, the freedom we enjoy to study your word, to own copies of your word. Uh, we thank you for our country. We do pray in these very tumultuous, adverse, and difficult times. We pray for our country. We pray that we as believers can be winsome, can be peacemakers. And Lord, that uh, you would do your mighty work in and through the history of this country. And we pray for our leadership, for our president, others in leadership. We pray especially for our law enforcement personnel around the country who are feeling uh, quite attacked, probably, and many others. And Lord, we pray that uh, you would be honored and glorified through all this. We trust you in your sovereignty and in your grace and in your mercy. And today we pray for an understanding of your word that your Holy Spirit would teach us and guide us as we uh, move through this passage today. In Jesus' powerful name I pray, amen and amen. If you uh, notice that uh, the Apostle Paul, he uses that metaphor of walking as a lifestyle. Earlier in chapter 1, verse 10, he's praying for them this great intercessory prayer that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In other words, live out a life in a manner worthy. And as you listen to me read in chapter 2 here, verse 6, he says, therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. And I've entitled this message, Learning How to Walk. And uh, most of us probably, if you're uh, of any age at all, you don't really remember what it was like to try to learn how to walk. Uh, perhaps you do, uh, but anybody with small children uh, and uh, watching them crawl and move around as they grow and eventually they start to walk and we want uh, people to walk or live out a life in that manner. And so that metaphor, that figure of speech, of walking, uh, we have to learn how to walk in faith. Christians need to learn how to walk in faith. Uh, if we don't learn the fundamental skills of walking, uh, there's eventually going to be a 
uh, collapse, if you will, he just like a, a, a toddler is toddling around learning how to walk and their balance isn't great and they don't know all the skills yet and they fall down. And in fact, as we age, uh, the danger of falling becomes increased because our skills are diminished. Yet for the Christian and the Christian life, the spiritual aspect of the Christian life, we continue to grow all our lives or we should continue to grow in the walk of faith even though there's struggles and difficulties and challenges to our spiritual skills of walking, uh, the Apostle Paul is encouraging us and he's admonishing the uh, Colossian believers to continue living by faith, doing this walk, the spiritual walk, living out their faith, even as they have started. And so I think about uh, this aspect. The Apostle Paul talks about knowledge. He talks about using our minds and, you know, right thinking leads to right attitudes, which leads to right actions, as we've seen in that prayer of intercession, the Apostle Paul in chapter 1, verse 9. And in chapter 2, he's, again, wanting us to know stuff. Notice in verse 1, for I want you to know. I want you to know. And uh, there's this aspect of knowledge. We are walking in knowledge. Uh, we need to think about our spiritual life. Think about what it means to be in Christ. And verse 1, the Apostle Paul is uh, really struggling because of this web of deception, this false teaching that is uh, invading and uh, attacking the church at Colossae and elsewhere. And we're not immune from that. In fact, we're probably more uh, susceptible to false teaching because we have such access to, to uh, different teaching and Bible teachers from around the world. And we need to be discerning in what we listen to. The Apostle Paul in verse 1 says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for those who have not personally seen my face. And so this web of deception awaits and the Apostle Paul is struggling there. He is struggling. He's fear, fearing that the Colossian believers and others would allow themselves to be caught in this web of false teaching and this false doctrine, doctrine, the word he uses there for struggling is the word we get agonized uh, from. And Paul's concern is not a physical agony, even though he's imprisoned in Rome, but it's, uh, the word really means anxiety or concern. He's not struggling because of a physical uh, struggle. He's struggling is not, is his struggling is not external. His Struggling is internal, a struggling of the mind, and he talks about the believers at Colossae and also at Laodicea, and possibly re referring to the church in Hierapolis. Uh, if uh, you want to look at your Bible maps, here's an opportunity to go back. If you are using a Bible that has maps in it, you can go back to Paul's journey, and you can see these three cities of uh, <clears throat> Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis all in the Lycus River Valley, probably not more than 10 miles apart from each other. And so undoubtedly, uh, the false teachers were making the rounds among the believers in that area and attacking the pure doctrine, the orthodox doctrine of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul really has his eyes open to the appeal of false teaching, and he was concerned for the Colossians in this fact. In fact, uh, he wants their eyes opened, and uh, we have no excuse for having our eyes closed to the existence of error and false teaching, because really the Bible is full of warnings for us. Just a few. You can jot these references down, but Romans 16, 17 through 18, Paul writes there, I urge you, brethren, to keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and, hint dissensions 
and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned and turn away from uh, them. Galatians 1, 6 through 9, the Apostle Paul writes, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Acts 20, 28 through 31, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church. 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 7, I urge you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. And he goes on and on. 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5, 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets has gone, have gone out into the world. So there's just uh, a few selected verses and passages that you can look at uh, for the fact that he was concerned, the Apostle Paul, and uh, God is watching over his church. In verses 2 through 4, not only is there the danger of this web of deception, but verses 2 through 4, we need to have the knowledge of our source of freedom. In other words, how to avoid the deception. And there are three elements of our defense. Three elements of our defense. Look at verse 2. That their hearts may be encouraged. That's number one. Having been knit together in love. Knit together in love is number two. And attaining all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of number three. Understanding. And so we have these three elements of encouragement, uh, hearts knit, uh, knit together in love, united in love, and have understanding of the truth. Those are the three uh, defenses. Those are the three antidotes to false teaching. That encouragement can either mean comfort or cheer up, encourage or strengthen that word. Uh, in the context of this letter, uh, the idea is uh, strengthen. He wants the believers strengthened. It's not an issue of being sad or in distress or of the Colossians needing comfort. They needed strength to be equipped to stand strong against the error that they faced. The second one, uh, knit together in love. Knit together is the, the idea, or unified in love. Uh, that translates a, a participle that could be rendered being united in love, united in love. It's, it's, it's the picture, it's the picture of our physical bodies are held together by ligaments, making a strong unit. Unity and solidarity can uh, contribute to our strength. False teaching is always divisive. A person who's left alone with no support is much more vulnerable than a cohesive unit. That's why we need each other. And that's why it's so difficult at this time when we can't have in-person gatherings for worship. We don't see each other on a regular basis. And so it is difficult to remember that we are knit together. We are united like, like uh, our physical bodies are united. So that strengthening takes place as believers are knit together in love. And what creates this unity? What creates this unity? And it comes from... Uh, being knit together in love, it tells us their concern for one another, relating to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, loyal to one another, supporting one another. We're strengthened of heart. We have assurance of this understanding. A loving and a learning community will produce believers that are settled in their understanding of the truth. That's why we have a common doctrinal statement for Grace Point Church. 
And when we link ourselves with other believers, as we care for one another, as we grow in our understanding of Jesus Christ, we will remain stable and confident even when the winds of adversity blow, even when false teaching tries to creep into our midst. Understanding has a very definite object. Look, <clears throat> excuse me, look again at uh, verse 2 where it says, A full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. Of course, uh, the preeminent position in the book of Colossians, as well as all of Scripture, is Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, we see that Jesus is the Lord of creation and of reconciliation. In chapter 2, there's the fullness of his deity. He's the forgiver of sins. He's the conqueror of satanic forces. Chapter 3 of Colossians, he's the resurrected Lord, and he's over our life. In chapter 4, Jesus is the only compelling figure that is worthy of our devoted love. And so we come to that uh, point there in, in verse 3, that Christ himself is the glue that holds all of that together. Our hearts being encouraged, we're knit together in love. We have understanding and the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. In, ver in verse 3, it says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We need to understand that uh, we won't be deceived if we focus on the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that Jesus Christ gives us. And so if we're in a settled understanding of the true treasure is found only in Christ, we won't be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. That will not happen. We need to know this. We need to beware. Look at verse 4. I say this is so no one will delude you with persuasive argument that leads to error. Uh, we need to ex exercise good discipline and stability in our faith that we're not overthrown in the sense of believing false doctrine. And then in verse uh, 5, it tells us in verse 5 that uh, we, for even though I'm absent from the body, nevertheless I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and stability of your faith in Christ. And so the Apostle Paul, that's the good news here, is that they were standing strong. Uh, the bad news of the book of Colossians is that believers were under attack, which every generation of believers comes under attack. The good news is that they were standing strong, and that's what he's saying in verse 5. Even though he's absent in body, in other words, he's in prison in Rome, and yet he's delighted with this report from Epaphras to see how orderly and firm in their faith in Christ is. Those words there in verse 5, where he says that their good discipline and stability of their faith, those are military terms, and they're metaphors of a military picture, which paint a picture that they're not breaking rank or defecting. When the enemy is attacking, the Colossians maintain a solid front. And of course, the picture is out of the Roman phalanx, phalanx, that uh, military strategy where they would lock shields and lock legs and arms. And uh, it would be an impenetrable force. And that's the idea, the picture behind the, the church there. And so walking in knowledge, knowledge is very important. In verses 6 and 7, we need to walk in grace. Not only learn to walk in knowledge, but walk in grace. In the first part of verse 6, the Apostle Paul talks about our reception uh, in Christ in the fact of his grace. Therefore, just as you have received Christ the Lord, so walk in him. This is a powerful picture of living the sanctified life. Remember that when you believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior for everlasting life, you were saved from the penalty of sin. That's past tense. For me, I was 28 years old. 
For some of you, you are five or four or maybe 80. Uh, but when you believe in Jesus for everlasting life, as John in the Gospel of John tells us, as, uh, for example, John 3.16, uh, we were saved from the penalty of sin. That's called justification. We were declared righteous. And uh, so then when we pass from this life into the next life, eternal life, when we see Jesus face to face, that's called glorification. That's future tense where we'll be saved from the very presence of sin. And that's both those are by grace, justification and glorification. Well, what about this middle part from the time when I was 28 until I go to heaven Go to meet Jesus, it's called sanctification, and that's a present tense verb, and that means that I am being saved from the very power of sin. So as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, how have we received him? It's simply by faith through grace, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It's by his grace that we are able to stand before a righteous, holy God. So walk in him. There's that word walk. So live in him. Live in grace, unmerited favor. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit, because in our flesh, we cannot live the Christian life. It is impossible. It's not just hard. It's impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit applying his word to his life. So we need to be walking in grace. John 1.12 tells us, for as many as received him, to them... He gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. We do not earn the right to become God's children. That right is given to us, and it is there, and the life with Christ begins at that moment. And so the question is, is have you believed in Jesus' gift of eternal life? I trust you have. And if you have not, I would encourage you to read the Gospel of John, which is a love letter written specifically to you, to present Jesus Christ and his deity. Jesus Christ. This is to combat three false conceptions. Notice how he terms, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. First, he talks about Christ. That is the Hebrew word, Messiah, and it is affirming the deity of this one. Jesus is his human name, and it affirms his humanity. And Lord affirms his sovereignty. And so that combats the false teachers and again presents Jesus as preeminent. And our responsibility to Christ by grace is to walk in him. And uh, to some, uh, some people, you know, walking seems very uninteresting. They would rather be think Paul should write, mount up with wings like eagles or run with enthusiasm But it's a day-to-day, step-by-step decision to follow Christ. There's an old song, trust and obey, for there's no other way. And I think of steps, trust, obey, trust, obey, trust, obey. We are to trust and obey him. We are continually to walk in sound teaching that brought us to the truth of justification by grace. And it continues to give us sanctification by grace and glorification by his grace. You know, it's the faith you start with is the faith you grow with. And so it's important than that. In verse 7, as we uh, come to this verse that we're going to finish up with today, is our resources in Christ by grace, our resources. And he uses four participles in this verse, and they're action words. And we're going to see that uh, they're all representative of a metaphor. Look at the first one, verse 7. Uh, that we would walk in him, verse 7, having been firmly rooted, firmly rooted. It's a horticultural or an agricultural metaphor. And anybody who works in a garden or a farm or plants things, you know about roots. 
roots uh, are the fact that we are born again. And this participle is a perfect participle, which means it has an abiding result. It has an abiding result. It's a perfect passive participle for those who are interested in that. Uh, I was thinking about uh, firmly rooted things. And I remember years and years ago when we first uh, bought our house, it wasn't too much longer, uh, a member of our congregation uh, pointed out how beautiful a pin oak tree was. And I was not familiar with pin oaks. In fact, he uh, drove me by a house they used to live in. There was a pin oak in the front yard. and It is a beautiful tree. And so we bought a pin oak. It was a little scrawny thing and uh, dug a hole and we planted it and uh, we started to plant it. My neighbor across the street was an agronomist and he brought over a jar of some brown liquid and poured it in the bottom of the hole we had dug and said, this will help the tree grow. And we planted it and uh, then we had to stake it and tie ropes to it so the wind wouldn't blow it over. But now it is, it is a beautiful, beautiful tree and it has its own roots and it stands in the worst of winds and it's rooted. And this is the picture here that uh, we may be firmly rooted in our faith. The second resource that we have in Christ is that being built up in him. And this changes metaphors. We're being built up. It's like a building. It's a building metaphor or an architectural metaphor. And this is a present passive participle, which is continuing action. This tells us this continually goes on in our lives. If you're a believer in Christ, yes, you have the abiding results, the abiding results of being firmly rooted in salvation, but we are being sanctified. We are being built up this continuing action. The third uh, metaphor is established. We are being established. We are increasing in the stability in our faith. It's a legal metaphor to be established in this continuing action. It is a, another, uh, excuse me, present passive participle is continuing. So we're being built up, we're being established just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. That verb overflowing or that participle is really a natural metaphor from nature. And it is a picture of an artesian well. When I was a young man in Colorado, growing up in Colorado, my dad would take me out to a ranch land and they had artesian wells on that ranch. And it was just amazing to me that this beautiful water would just bubble up right out of the ground. And that's the picture of the Christian who is thankful. It's like an artesian well. We cannot stop it. We are continually producing the fruit of thankfulness. And this is a present active participle, a continuing action. It's our decision. Notice the first three participles were in the passive form, which means that the action is working from outside of us. It is God that is doing it. It is God who is rooting us. It is God who is building us up. It is God who is establishing the stability of our faith. But the fourth participle is an, <clears throat> excuse me, an active participle, which means that it's our decision. It's an act of the will. And so the question is, are you, uh, are, are you thankful today? And then, of course, in verse 8, which starts the next section, see that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. And that won't happen as long as you are walking in the knowledge of God's grace and that you're walking in his grace, that you have the knowledge of it and that you received Christ and that you are being rooted and grounded in love. You're being built up, you're being established, and you're overflowing with thankfulness. A thankful believer 
you know, is not easily led away from Christ, when your focus is upon Christ and your thankfulness to him. But a discontented, grumbling, whiny believer, however, will be easy prey for false teachers who are more than willing to offer just what you've been missing. And of course, that's the siren call of false teaching. And so God is at work in our lives. I was thinking of a hymn. It came to my mind uh, this week, and I want to close with this. Uh, It was written in 1895, but it is a great hymn. And the first lyrics go like this. My faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. Enough for me that Jesus saves. This ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to him. He'll never cast me out. And then the refrain goes as such. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Amen and amen. As a benediction, I want to read the benediction out of the book of Colossians, even though we're not there yet. And in Colossians... Uh, Let me see here. (laughs) Oh, uh, yes. Chapter 4, verse 5. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Good words for all of us in this day and this age. God bless, and we'll see you next time. And grow in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.